And welcome to another exciting episode of Battle of the Atom. This is, of course, the X-Men podcast where I, Zach Jenkins, and my co-host Adam Reck go through three X-Men stories. We talk about them just a little bit, and then we decide where they go on our ever-expanding list of every X-Men story ever, of all time, from best to worst. With me, as always, is Adam Reck. And Adam, I have a question for you today. Oh, God. Here we go. Yes. <laughs> it's 2018 do you know what your children are oh i didn't think you were going to ask me that um oh i thought i mean that's like the tagline yeah no i and i was going to bring that up too because i love that that little postcard um but i really thought you were going to ask me um how to pronounce b-r-o-o-d um which i've been getting so much grief about on twitter um so here's the thing I heard you talking about it the whole time. And I said, no, that sounds right. What was he doing? <laughs> so for all of you listeners out there who were uh, supremely offended that I pronounced B-R-O-O-D as brood, um, I've been practicing and I now know that it is correctly pronounced as brood, like rhymes with good. Or food. <laughs> or food. You know what I mean? So anyway. Don't worry. Um, A lot of people are getting science words mispronounced. Luckily, you uh, got this mispronounced on a small podcast and not on a multi-million dollar Venom movie. Ooh, yeah. The uh, the pronunciation of uh, symbiote uh, was was very interesting in the Venom trailer. Symbiotes? Was, the symbiotes? Sim- symbiotes. Uh, I was, that, took, you- that took me out of it. Any of you who are going to pull up, well, Miriam's Dictionary, no one cares because the Spider-Man animated series and literally every pronunciation of that word ever has been symbiotes. So maybe slow your roll with this um, actually stuff because you know you're wrong and you know that you sit on a throne of lies when you try and do that. (laughs) I'm I'm considering a new career and just like either investigating how to pronounce different comic book words or, uh, you know, just trying to figure them out for myself because this seemed to have caused some controversy. Uh, well, I can, I can tell question. you. Oh yeah. yeah. Back to my question about what your children are. <laughs> well, if you we're know. talking, yeah, we're, we're talking today about fall of the mutants and, uh, there was that great, little ad that appeared in some of the comics. And I think it was actually printed as a postcard for uh, local comic book stores with the images, right? It's like, do mm-hmm. you know uh, what your kid is? Not, not what your children your are. Is? Yeah. 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 And it has a picture of four kids and one of them is a picture of Franklin Richards and mm-hmm. in red ink scrawled over it, it says muty. Oh boy. Yeah. Which is a very good ad. And can I tell you, it really has nothing to do with the content that we're covering in this episode that is a follow-up. No, and, you know, I think that's okay because, like, uh, previous crossover, um, you know, well, Mutant Massacre, I think, is tied together a lot lot better. But Fall of the Mutants is just three distinct stories that all involve some form of a fall. Um, so it's more of an advertising thing than anything else to tie them Man. together. 
You know what? I can tell you both of the like fall of the mutants house ads things that and then the sunset image of all the X-Men. I like that one. They did some good marketing for this. Yeah. Yeah. Even if like it it really doesn't add up to anything like those ads are not like you said, they don't tell you anything about what actually happens in any of these three stories. But, you know, I think they're really effective for getting you to want to buy them. Yeah, I mean, they're really good at continuing to talk about the theory that Marvel has and is and will always be trying to get rid of the X-Men ever since the (laughs) 80s. Yeah, freak everybody out. Every X-Fan is worried that the line is going to end at any moment, but uh, we know it's not going to happen. Well, can I, I I know we are on Tangent City in this episode, and we're going to get to the real content real good. But I was thinking the other day, you know, like this Deadpool movie, Deadpool 2 mm-hmm. is coming out. And yeah. I love that the fact that Deadpool 2 is coming out and has a lot of these, frankly, obscure X-Force characters in it. He's getting <laughs> no X-Men fans still feeling persecuted that <laughs> in this multi-million dollar <laughs> blockbuster movie they're the second rate citizens i love that mentality amongst us fans yeah i mean i think there's a legitimate you know like with this um the fox disney merger people are freaking out because will we ever see the next x movies but like here's one here's here's one and it's got some really cool stuff going on in it that i'm really excited about so this is a movie with jesse bedlam shatterstar the juggernaut Negasonic Teenage Warhead, Domino Cable Colossus, and freaking Zeitgeist from Ecstatics. And also Deadpool, I guess, is there. Oh, and Rusty Collins. So uh, yeah, yeah. Dude, don't be coming at me how this is not an X-Men movie. This has more <laughs> X-Men than Uncanny X-Force did. It just also has Deadpool in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's fine. If that's how we get there and it's enjoyable, then great. Let's see how it is. I'm yes. looking forward to it. Now, we digress real hard back into Fall of the Mutants because we're talking about Fall of the Mutants today thanks to Patreon supporter Stephen Koppel, who suggested the first story on our list today. And which one is that? Because there are three different uh, epic tales to be told in Fall of the Mutants. Right. The first one, which we specifically thank Stephen for his support about, is X-Factors number 24 to 26. The Fall of the Mutants. Yeah. This was written by Louise Simonson with pencils by Walt Simonson and art inks by uh, Bob Wyacek. It's pretty good. Oh, man. Great creative team here. I love when the Simonsons are teamed up on X Factor. Uh, And this is a cool this. I think this is my favorite of the three um of the three fall of the mutant stories yes because that's the correct opinion to have (laughs) i love being validated it's great um because this is apocalypse trying to you know do his master plan he's gonna get archangel and he's gonna get his horsemen and try and take over the world starting with new york city so this is some high stakes stuff yeah so let's talk about what's happened previously on x factor for the last little bit uh warren worthington got his wings taken off in the last crossover got real sad got suicidal everyone thought he was dead apocalypse has kind of been sneaking into mutants homes and saying come follow me i'm pretty cool (laughs) and making his horsemen for un unreally revealed reasons and we're never gonna actually get what he's going for here besides some general darwinism that 
doesn't make a ton of sense, but I love him for it anyway. Yeah, I mean, on one hand, I really did not like the last X-Men movie, X-Men Apocalypse. But on another level, like I can kind of sympathize with not really getting what Apocalypse is all about. Um, Historically, his motives are very uh, varied to the extreme, depending on who's writing him. And Mm -hmm. we never really quite know what he's up to but there's going to be some mayhem and destruction involved yeah it's apocalypse is a character that works so much better in theory than he does in any sort of actual use i mean there's a reason he's been dead in comics since like 2007 (laughs) and he you know you know he's gonna come back he'll pop up he always ends up you know back in a storyline as as a big bad um but this is a great archetype uh, for apocalypse stories in general, because, you know, we, we seem to use this as the template going forward, which is that at least a hero at some point will become a baddie because of apocalypse. And in some cases, multiple good guys, not in this one. Um, and we've, our heroes have to figure out how to, how to take care of apocalypse without killing a friend. But it has diminishing returns like that, that, uh, you know, convert someone into a horseman. I'm trying to think through my apocalypse stories since then, and it doesn't work very well in the 12 because Death Wolverine is not great. It doesn't Mm -hmm. work really well when he does it with Polaris and Sunfire and all those guys later, though he gives Sunfire his very, very good Sunfire Age of Apocalypse look. It probably works the best in uh, Dark Angel Saga when Angel's Apocalypse and he makes yes. Psylocke one of his uh, his death. Yeah, I mean, and clearly the original transformation of Angel uh, into Archangel is probably the coolest thing. You know, uh, some of the other X-Men have had their transformations. Uh, you know, Beast has gone from... You know, I'm a guy with big feet into Mr. Blue, fuzzy and furry. Um, but to transform and back again and forth. again, Yeah, yeah. But to transform Warren Worthington, you know, rich, uh, blondie, snobby guy into, you know, this blue neon pink and and blue and what else he's got, you know, and the silver wings. And it's just such a cool character design. He looks so good. Yeah, it's just a really fun um cool idea just just from a design perspective you want to talk about a costume that would never work in real life because that's a costume that would only look good on the page of a comic book it's nonsensical it's ridiculous and it's beautiful and it's one of the things that comics does very well that when you try and put that on screen on a real person it's just not gonna translate great no the wings of them you know in and of themselves as a design concept are just so cool um and you're right like how do you translate that and even artists have trouble with with his wings you know at certain points in continuity they're like they're foldable i guess and they could tuck in under a blazer i'm not sure how that's supposed to work um at a certain point they're just a pain to draw (laughs) yeah i there's there was um i think you were going through some of the swimsuit issues recently on twitter i was yep there was a a panel or a spread or some kind where they were playing chicken um in a pool and warring worthington was on uh somebody's back and i was thinking to myself 
uh, I, I may have commented on this, like everybody would be dead in this scene if it was actually happening because the wings would just be like decapitating everybody in the scene. <laughs> um, so the concept of Archangel is absolutely bananas uh, if you start to take it literally, but it makes for a really, really good setup in this particular story. Yeah. The other the other cool thing that happens in this story – well, actually a few cool things happen. The X-Men fight Apocalypse, that's the big thing. This spins mm-hmm. off into a bunch of like Captain America and Power Pack and Daredevil that we're not going to get into. You know, X-Factor right now has Caliban, the mutant tracker Morlock guy on their team for a hot second. And he actually switches sides. He says, I like what Apocalypse is selling better. And Walt Simonson does such a good job selling that in his art because he does a lot of panel layouts that set this up and he does this Mm -hmm. constantly through this book you can see you know four or five page increments where a small part of the panel will just slowly be changing into the story he wants to tell it's a very good trick yeah the layouts on the pages are fantastic the action scenes are good but you're right like there are these small little character moments sprinkled throughout where you understand why the motivations shift or why a character is doing something um or you know or or the thought process so i i feel like um luis and walt like obviously working very well together. Um, This is where I feel like X factor really clicks when we see them based in the city, big threats, classic villain. And uh, you know, there's sort of like the X-Men's version of fantastic four in a lot of ways Um, that family concept really starts to come into play here. And I think it works extremely well. I think where that comes into play the most is in the last issue of this, because Mm -hmm. we get, Issue 24 is, you know, set up for action. 25 is the big blockbuster. And 26, which is still branded as part of Fall of the Mutants, is a denouement to all this stuff. It is, it gets a lot slower, a lot more reflective of what just happened. And you get a lot of very good character beats. This is where Wheezy really shines as a writer is when she gets to play with these interactions. And it's so much fun, especially Scott and Jean. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's it's an interesting contrast because in Uncanny, um, you know, we're really looking at the mutants per- being perceived as these outlaws or, um, you know, just as a, a subclass of people. Whereas here in X Factor, in this time period, we're starting to see especially local law enforcement and the media start to consider at least these mutants as heroes, as a superhero team, which the X-Men are never supposed to be considered in a lot of capacities like that's not really their gig so i thought that's always what made x factor unique and you're right that last issue starts to sell that point yeah this is good i like i like the x factor part of fall of mutants you get apocalypse being fun if nonsensical you get some awesome art awesome designs by simonson he's relatively fantastic (laughs) like dude's a pretty good comic creator Oh, I will. You know, I love Simonson's Marvel runs in the 80s. I just think they're they're all terrific. Um, You know, whatever he worked on, be it this Fantastic Four, Thor, obviously, um, the the guy is fantastic. And I I love that he got to work with uh, his wife on this title because it it works really, really well. Yeah, they're an awesome pair. I like this. Mm -hmm. Anything else you wanted to say about it before we move on to the Rankin sphere of it? Uh, no, it rocks. So I think the question then is how high do we go here? Because I think if you want to talk about X Factor, this is, um, you know, a really, really good place to go uh, if you're if you've never read the book before. So let's let's talk about what's on the list right now. 
At yep. number one is Days of Future Past, followed by Astonishing X-Men Gifted, uh, God Loves Man Kills, Asgardian War, and the first volume of Wolverine. Mm-hmm. At the bottom, at number 90 is Eve of Destruction. 91 is X-Men 100th Anniversary Special. 92 is God Loves Man Kills 2. And 93 is X-Men Phoenix Legacy of Fire. Ah. This is between those. Uh, yeah. And I think this has, uh, you know, top 25 on it. Um, What's well, 25 right now? Examinations. Ooh, yeah. that's tight. Yeah, I think this is better than that. Um, you know, I like that this is about as classic X Factor as you can possibly get. Mm-hmm. And it does really set up what Apocalypse is supposed to be in the X universe for the rest of continuity you know it's yeah. not obscure like it was in x factor six like we actually figure out what his deal is and you know to whatever extent that can be do you know what on this list i think this most feels like especially on What's this that? higher side of the list yeah uncanny avengers avenge the earth like yeah. this is a superhero story this is a capital s capital h superhero story Yeah, I think that's a really good comparison. Um, We've got that at number 20. You know, I think this, I love Avenge the Earth, but I I personally think this is better. Um, I I think this has a lot of stuff in it that is just absolutely classic essential Mm X-Men. I I would agree with that. Is it better than, I'm going to go up a bit, Mutant Genesis, X-Men 1 through 3? Oh, okay. Um, Yes, I think it is. I think it is better than that. So that would put it into our top 10 or it would put it just outside, right outside the top, of our 10. top 10 because at yeah. number 10 is uncanny X-Men 183. He'll never make me cry, which is the one where juggernaut puts a bar on top of Colossus. And this is not better than that. No, I don't think it is. Um, but I think that might be a solid place for it. If, if uh, you're comfortable there, I am comfortable there because guys X factor fall of the mutants is really good. Like, yeah, this is this is about as good as X Factor gets, and mm-hmm. it's a lot of fun, and you should read it. So it's our new number eleven. It's our new number eleven, and next on our list is just another Follow the Mutant Star. We're doing all three of them. It's very easy. It is the Uncanny X Men one, which is written by uh, Christopher Claremont with pencils by Mark Silvestri. Uh, yeah, and I think inked by Dan Green here. Yeah, and this Dan Green. Run. Glennis Oliver does the colors. Very nice. Yeah, so this is the pre-Australia Outback era. This is where the X-Men go to Dallas to fight the adversary and team up with Freedom Force. Uh, strange. What are your appear- uh, take? What's your take on the adversary? Um, you know, not my favorite ex-villain. Take any cultural stuff out of it. it the adversary is just boring and dumb. I don't know. I don't know what the adversary's deal is. He wants to cause chaos. That's the most generic thing you can do. Like, he's just, I'm evil. Okay, I guess we got to deal with this evil guy now. Yeah, I never. I mean, this goes on for a while, too. Um, If you buy some of the Fall of the Mutants trades, um, I guess they they do like a full half year of the series before this particular three issue run that we're talking about. And this goes on for a while. I mean, this is um, sort of the aftermath of life death in a lot of ways uh, Mm -hmm. because it it centers around Storm and Forge and Naze, um, a.k.a. the adversary. So this is, you know, I feel like this is a means to an end 
end to a lot of ways. Uh, Claremont is trying to tie a lot of threads together. You know that he wants to do this thing where he dispatches the team um, and gets to have a, a little bit of a reset button there. Um, how successful do you think this is? It's not the least successful thing he's ever uh, done. It's a, uh, I don't love this at all. I, I'm very mixed about this particular arc. Um, and, I, you know, I'm on record as being a fan of the Aussie X-Men. And you don't get that unless you get this run that creates, you know, sort of the portal to that story. Um, but I'm I'm conflicted about it because of all of the adversary Roma stuff that's in here in the background. Oh, Roma's the um, worst. Yeah, you know, it, it, it relies very heavily on, you know, him being the villain and um you know i feel like it's i don't know this whole bit with time being unchained and we having dinosaurs and cavemen roaming uh through tech through dallas um it's not that it's bad it's just it, it seems a little messy is that it accurate is a little messy it is a little yeah. messy and even our favorite reporters neil conan and manali weatherall who show up for this whole thing they can't do anything about it. They're just reporters for NPR TV. <laughs> right. But our affinity for Neil Conan and Mariel, uh, how do you say her name? I always mess it up. Manoli um, Weatherall. Manoli Weatherall. You know, I, that comes from, I think, a lot of cases from this, right? Um, because they have to be there so that the rest of the X universe thinks that the X Men are dead, um, at least via the TV footage. Um, you know, there's there's some fun stuff happening here. I like that it's, uh, you know, we've got Freedom Force involved. Uh, the stakes are really high. Uh, at least theoretically, the X-Men are dead at the end of it. But, um, you know, how we arrive there is, is eh, it's not necessarily my favorite thing in the whole world. And it's clunky. Like, they essentially have to have Colossus teleported in because Claremont's like, well, I want to use him in these next stories that are coming up. So... Mm. Quickly, let's bring him back. This has had no buildup. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you can tell that we're, we're going to that conclusion. And that is the most important part of this story. Um, but you could probably read a synopsis of this and, um, you know, you'd be fine. Um, I, I think that I'm discounting the great work here that Silvestri is doing. Um, I love him on the X books. I feel like he really doesn't get his due as an X artist. He's fantastic. I, I love what's going on here, but um, yeah, I, I just don't love this arc. It's important continuity wise. It's not must read, mm. which I think is an important distinction because it's something like uh, more recently in Inhumans versus X-Men. If mm -hmm. you want to know what's going on in the X universe, you have got to read that. Yes. But it's not going to go on anybody's, ooh, what's some really good X-Men stories that I should read? It's for a different purpose. And that's why I think Fall of Mutants gets you know, put on a lot because it's a huge status quo changing event for the X-Men. It's also not great. Well, yeah. And to understand what's happening in – if you want to just read the three issues of X Factor, Follow the Mutants, you can. You know, there's obviously some buildup in the, the issues leading up to it that'll help you understand what's going on there. But I think if you just sat down with these three issues of Uncanny that had this logo on them, you're going to be confused. Um, you're not really going to understand what the heck has been going on with Forge and Storm. Um, 
there is a lot going on here in terms of the the culmination of this plot line and even just what happens in Dallas is also kind of confusing. So, um, you know, I don't know how successful this is as its own story. Yeah. I think you, you nailed, you put the nail on the head and you hit it with a hammer, which is the way most people (laughs) say that particular idiom. Uh, but, uh, yeah, this is a means to an end. This gets the X-Men into the next stage of their existence. And, it, it it just that's all it does where do yeah. you where do you think this goes on our list you know i feel like we feel <laughs> we're, we're giving this a similar treatment to when we reviewed inferno but inferno is really a huge culmination of you know a, a long plot line um oh i'd say can I, can I say what the big difference is for inferno inferno yeah. is a more or less well done if confusing story that just Mm -hmm. plays with a lot of the elements of x-men that don't appeal to me like i had i had this conversation on twitter uh the other day someone had mentioned that uh the way that we reviewed a particular story was different than like jay and miles explained the x-men's take on it Mm -hmm. and they were like oh i love hearing them debate and all like the them loving something and them hating something and all I could think is, well, you know, we just like different parts about the X-Men. That doesn't mean those stories are bad or that the X-Men are bad. It just means the X-Men are wide enough that people can like different stuff about it and have that available to them, which I think is fabulous. Inferno's good. Just it's not a story I love. Yeah. Yeah. And um, while our list is definitive, it may not be definitive for everybody. <laughs> How's that? I mean, let's not go that far. <laughs> but it should you know, uh, yeah. compared to Inferno, this is worse. This is worse than Inferno for sure. Okay. So we know at the very least we have Inferno's uh, X-Men and X-Factor issues at number 40. Um, so we know we're going lower than that. Um, how low do you want to go? I'm I'm looking at this list. And here's the thing about lists like this. They start to get filled up with things you want to talk about. Yeah. Is it better than House of M? Because I, I know you're not a huge fan of House I of think, M. I think House of M is better. Okay. I think, uh, All right. I think the demon issue of Uncanny X-Men is better. Where I'm kind of looking at is... Uncanny X Men two seventy five and the stuff around that the Savage Land and Shear stuff with that good good Jim oh, Lee okay. art and that's about it. I think it's better than that. Like that's my that's my floor on this one. Interesting. Um, so is it better than Web of Spidey Annual two with Warlock? Um, you know, I think we need to at least give this some credit that it's a, a game changer for the X Men. Whether you know it's truly successful or not it's still wrapping up at least you know in some cases multiple years worth of x continuity so um you know it's, yeah. it's a big status quo change i think it's better than that web of spider-man annual i think it's probably better than uh like last will and testament of charles xavier i think this is probably a more successful story than that okay so now now we're up a little bit on the list so here's a question is it better than santa claus because you go to bat for santa claus quite a bit I do like that. Um, 1991 Marvel holiday special miracle. Uh, a few, what is it? A few blocks down, a few blocks away. Um, a few blocks down 34th street. Yes. Yes. There we go. I would, I would rather reread that Marvel holiday special than this. Okay. 
So I definitely makes... would rather reread the all new Wolverine annual. I think it really comes down to you whether it goes above or below holiday special. I'm okay with putting it below. I mean, I agree that like I know that this is important to X continuity, but my desire to revisit it is not super high. Um, I would much rather read the X Factor one than than this. So I'm I think that's a good place for it. Yeah, that's number 50 on our list now. Uncanny X-Men 225 to 227, The Fall of the Mutants. Nice. And we we still have one more set of mutants who, you know, they need to all fall down. Yeah, and I think this one is just the most off-the-wall strange, um, which is New Mutants. Yeah, this is a, this is Wheezy, again, with Brett Blevins on art, Terry Austin uh, doing his inks, and Bill Ray doing the colors on it this is a bird brain story this is a bird brain and cypher story i think that's an important distinction to to bring out because um this is you know obviously the most the biggest point of this story is that doug uh dies um as part of fall of, of the mutants and the context for that though is that we are on a island of animal people that is being run by Dr. Animus, the animator who is hired by Cameron Hodge and the right. Yes. And we're also in this very strange era where it was, I guess, an editorial mandate. I've heard Blevins talk about this, that the characters on the team were kind of de-aged. So we've got sort of a visual look that's, going for Saturday morning cartoons, but a storyline that if you take it down to its nuts and bolts is pretty savage. Um, It's pretty dark. There's a lot to unpack here. Well, it's, it's dark, but also regressive. Like I feel like the Bill Sienkiewicz era, new mutants would have handled this situation a lot differently than the early Louise Simonson era, new mutants. Mm -hmm. And she gets, she gets a better handle on this team uh, later in her run. But right now, it is a jarring shift from where the Claremont run ended to where the Simonson run begins. And I like even in the art, like I like Brett Blevins. I like Brett Blevins art a lot. I don't like it here. Well, and I I think a lot of that has to do with the the modeling of the characters. Um, You know, it's a jarring shift to see the characters and and it's you know he's doing what he was asked to do to to age them down to make them look a little bit younger i you know new mutants is known for being a, a book about teens that deals with very very strange and horrific elements and that's still here but you know when when you're being put into sort of a saturday morning cartoon atmosphere with the artwork it's a very difficult thing to to blend together. And if we add to that, the fact that this is the culmination of the bird brain story, which, you know, I I don't think there is an X fan alive that is really super sold on bird brain. He's a bird brain is Jar Jar Binks, um, you know, antecedent in a lot of ways, right? He might be the worst character in X-Men history. Like it's friggin' close. I'm struggling to see who I would like bottom of my list on Xavier files right now is lifeguard and slipstream. And I'd rather Mm. see them again. Like that's not even a question. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Give me, give me their solo series before I read another page of bird brain. Yeah. Is there an X fan alive who is like, give me more bird brain. 
Um, you know, I, I want to uh, just give some kudos to Jordan White for doing all those polls this past X-Men Monday before we recorded this. And one of them was like, which forgotten X character would you like brought back? I think he had Sage, Maggot, Adam X, and uh, I don't forget who the fourth one was. Marrow. Um, yes, Marrow. Uh, and Sage won the poll. Which is but, ridiculous. You know, like, can you imagine? You Sage fans, I tell you uh, what, I don't understand a single thing about you. Sage is a character I do not enjoy. <laughs> There was someone who commented, I mi- I really missed Extreme X-Men. Um, why? <laughs> oh, okay. Um, sorry, that individual, uh, we hope you're listening and we hope you like the show. And I, I'm glad you like I'm glad that's X-Men that you enjoy yes. and that you find value yes. in. But you may be wrong <laughs> and you may need to seek. Like, just talk to, talk to your they're, they're just there are this. better x-men titles out there um but i do i would be really curious to know if there's any advocates out there for for bird brain um because the fact that bird brain uh comes into this series hijacks it to a certain extent leads to this which then leads to doug getting unceremoniously shot um it's rough man like I'm okay with a character going, but the way in which this happens is um, is hard to swallow within the context of the story. It is. And it's, again, for a very cartoony story, that's a dark friggin' turn, especially what it does to Rain Sinclair, mm-hmm. like how upset she is about this. And then later on in what is actually a good story, how a good, sweet, perfect boy robot warlock has to process this death. He doesn't do well. Yeah. And I think that that is a a big part of why this is a little bit more difficult. Um, If Doug were to have met his demise while Warlock was there, you know, or part of the story, because I believe this is happening at the same time as Fallen Angels. uh, So Warlock is not around. Yeah, this ties... This ties right back into Fallen Angels, I believe, right at the end. Like, this is them coming back. Yeah. So, you know, the fact that that happens while that character is absent from the story, ah, you know, I, hey, it's a story. And the, the writer's got to make choices about what, what um, she wants to do here. But, I, you know, I feel like this is a tough pill to swallow as a fan of the series. It is. And I'll say it's not necessarily just because Doug dies, because Doug regardless of what kind of potential or what you might have liked about the character, Doug's in a hard spot in a book that needs to have eight pages of punching every issue. Mm-hmm. You can't do much with him. He works really well as a friend to Warlock and as a sounding board for the rest of the team. But I can definitely understand fans' frustrations at the time with the character who, you know, he was someone that a lot of people absolutely hated. And I think he may get more crap than he deserves on being, you know, on lists of garbage X-Men. But, like, I get why they said we need to write him out of the book. This is just a rough way to do it. Yeah. You know, I ultimately the scene where he takes the bullet, um, you know, in, in, a, in a, a burst of heroism um, is obviously a demonstration of that limitation of him being, you know, a superhero, like his, his comrades, his colleagues, but, uh, it's, it's still difficult, you know? And the fact that it's packaged within this story about a guy wearing, you know, like animal skins on his back and having these very, very bizarre supervillain speeches, it's, 
you know, it, I don't think it's going to be a lot of people's cup of tea. No, it's it's new mutants still trying to figure out the new normal, mm-hmm. and it's it's not great. No, no, it's not. <laughs> so I I guess then the the question does become how low does something like this go? I mean, because I I, I don't I'm struggling to see. I, I like Brett Blevins. I like Simonson, but we've got a lot of negative things going on here in terms of, um, you know, what led into the story and what comes out of this story. Yeah. I mean, look, creators I like have made bad things. Mm-hmm. That's, that's, that's what it comes down to. And the good thing about this list is that we can simultaneously praise something that Simonson has done in like the fall of the mutants story in X factor and damn what she's doing in new mutants at the exact same time, these same months. So this is no shade to her and no shade to Brett Blevins who, again, I really like Brett Blevins. It's just this, this story doesn't work well. Yeah. All right. I'm going to say something that may seem, I don't know how low you were thinking, but um, I'm looking at the list and I would rather go back to New Mutant Summer Special, Nocenti's absolutely like bizarre head trip with Blevins than I would to this. Would you agree yes. with that? Yes, that's yes, I agree with that. I really do. Uh, here's here's what I'm kind of looking at. It's it's not as good as that. Heroes for Hope is more interesting than it is anything of value. Mm-hmm. I think this is better than Mangaverse X. I do too. I think this is better than Mangaverse. So it really comes down to Heroes for Hope. What your feelings on that particular weird thing of comics that Stephen King wrote is? I, I think I would give the edge to New Mutants: Fall of the Mutants, if only because, from a continuity perspective, this you know this has a lot of bearing on what happens with the team afterwards, um, even if it's not that thing that you want to go back and reread a lot um heroes for hope is is just this weird oddity so i think that's probably a good place to put it it is a good place to put it that would put it as our new number 87 on the list of every x-men story from best to worst nice and that does it for today that was a marathon session with a lot of a lot of good tangents, a lot of good rants, <laughs> and a lot of people who are going to clap back at us on Twitter, I can tell you what. Oh man, a lot of mutants just fell down. So uh, hey, they all fall down. You know what? I'm I'm really optimistic that there's going to be uh, this Bird Brain fan club that pops up and tells us why we're wrong about Bird Brain. <laughs> if you're out there, folks, Look, please let I us know. Can't imagine because here's the two things that have to happen. For that, number one, you have to know that Birdbrain exists, Whoa. which legitimately means you have to have read those stories. Mm-hmm. And I can't, I can't make those two connect. That those two things combining together would output a oh no, and I like this. I remember, but I've been wrong. I before. remember the first time that I read the Birdbrain, you know, arc, and I. You know, I had read terrible things about it and I'm like, I'm going to keep an open mind. I'm going to I'm going to try and like this character. And then I was like, oh, I can't do it. <laughs> I can't I can't yeah. like him. I want to, but I can't. No, I've I've had that experience before. Yeah, That's OK. Oh, well, that- actually, the only time that's that has worked and I'll throw this out late X Factor, like 
the last 10 issues of that run uh-huh. introduces Xavier's underground enforcers Ooh. who are good. Hmm. They are a stupid 90s design. They all come from Bishop's timeline. They're all friends with Shard. I'm sold. They they are great. One of them is a Maori guy who can change shapes, and he's really a softie at heart, but he because he can change shapes and become like big, he becomes like a big scary dude. One of them has psychic powers, but they only manifest as like moths. So she has to have her psychic moths go to somebody. That's a great Which power. is pretty neat. Oh, I like that. The other the other guy just has a cool nineties design. His name's Fix. He doesn't do much. Does he fix he's does okay. He fix things? <laughs> He does steal the body of a serial killer hmm. or a abuser or something, some some sort of bad dude, and does like fix that relationship with his wife and child and says, look, I was a bad guy or this guy was a bad guy. I want to make this up to you. I want to fix this for you. Hmm. They, yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. They're all still in continuity. That, well, except for the one that blew that up. That all sounds better than bird brain. So, uh. <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> So anyway, I, we we got to wrap this bad boy up because everything Battle of the Atom comes from XavierFiles.com, which is where you can find me and my articles that I write every week about different X-Men stuff. I think the week this goes up, I will have just written about Evan Sabanur, who is Genesis or Kid Apocalypse, and he's pretty neat. Yeah. He's got, he's got hammer hands. <laughs> uh and that's pretty cool. Uh, so that's on my website, XavierFiles.com. You can follow me on Twitter at XavierFiles. And yeah, Adam, where can people find you online? Guys, you can always follow me on Twitter at Arthur Stacy, And I've got new pages of Bish and Jubes coming out every Monday at AdamRec.tumblr.com. Yeah, you want to talk about comics that are getting kind of crazy. Bish and Jubes is going places that <laughs> I did not expect. Uh, it's going to keep getting crazier. Sorry. Yeah, it's it's very it's very good for a very specific segment of fan. <laughs> well, I hope you guys are reading like, it. And I hope just you like to it. understand it. Yeah, just on yeah. Ah, and beyond that, anything else comes from the support that we get on Patreon.com. If you would like to join the ranks of the illustrious Stephen Koppel or anyone else who supports this show, you can mosey on over to Patreon.com slash Xavier Files. At the number $2, $2 level, you can uh, get an entire episode created around a suggestion of some sort of story that you would like. And it's really been cool to get the episodes built around that. I think it's been fun to try and find some weird loose thematic thread across everything and allowed us, allows us to say, okay, we've got this one Jim Lee X-Men story. (laughs) What's the most esoteric thing that we could add to this and make, you know, us go through long box and say, shoot, do we have that? (laughs) I'm sure I have that. So I've got to pick that up for 10 cents. Yeah, it's good. It's gives us some homework. It, it really does. Next week on Battle of the Atom, I can tell you that we – oh, no. Oh, no. Do you know what next week is, Adam? Well, <laughs> I think next oh, year – Oh, I forgot about this. I think next year we uh, – next week we have to explain Psylocke and Quanon somehow, right? Is that what we're doing? We have to explain Psylocke. We have to explain Quanon. <laughs> and we have to explain the Crimson God. Oh, oh this is going to be a tricky one. So we definitely have our homework. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. The Crimson Dawn is bad. <laughs> it's actually bad. All right. Excited for it. Oh, my gosh. We, this was close. This was a close one. 
But I think we did survive. <laughs> and until next time, this is Ben Battle of the Atom, and we hope you survived the experience. <laughs>